Are you or a loved one battling addiction? Relevance Behavioral Health is here to help you. At Relevance, you'll get intense clinical care coupled with long-term relapse prevention. Call today, 732-702-2242, or go online at relevancerecovery.com. Hey, guys. Bill Spadia here. Welcome back to Speaking Recovery. I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Daniel Regan. And we've got a special guest today from CFC Loud and Clear, Jason Rivera. Welcome, guys. Good to see you. Thanks, Bill. Good to see you too, Bill. So let's uh, let's get right into it. You know, we, we talk about, and I talked about this on the radio this morning, that, uh, you know, the recovery process, the fight against addiction, all of this doesn't stop, regardless of what insanity is going on in government. It seems like government's making it harder and harder for people. Um, but, you know, you guys are the warriors on the front line with Relevance Behavioral Health and CFC Loud and Clear. Um, let's get right in, Daniel, the conversation you and I have had about enabling and empowering, uh, in a bad way, uh, adult children who are having a problem and parents are like, I don't know how to deal with it. I've got my 20-something kid who's now back at home, jobless, and, and has an addiction problem. Yeah, and we're seeing this blow up now even more because of coronavirus and especially with all these stimulus checks and the extra $600 for unemployment that people are getting. Uh, there is, I can't tell you, we've been, Jay's been doing about like three, four interventions a week at this point. Um, and it's all these individuals are getting immense amounts of money and they're sitting in their parents' houses. They're using a, a tremendous amount of drugs. Uh, they make my addiction look like a... a, a I don't know, a toy, you know, compared to, you know, what, what's going on. And, uh, you know, it's scary. It's very scary. And it's scary for parents because they get stuck in this, you know, I want to help them, but I, I don't want to hurt them. And sometimes parents, they end up loving their kids to death. And, and, and I mean that by they get scared to set those boundaries and they get scared to kind of upset them in a way that, uh, you know, kind of call out that that elephant in the middle of the room with, with their kid. And what happens is, is yet no's become yeses and all, all those things start happening and you end up enabling the addiction. So I brought Jay in because Jay, uh, he does a lot of our parent groups over at CFC. And he's also, um, you know, doing most of the interventions today. So I, I'm going to let him talk about it. A All right, bit. so Jay, let, let's get right to the point of the parents, right? That, that, you know, before you even get to the person who is suffering from addiction and struggling and fighting their way through, they might not even realize they have a problem. I'm sure so many people fighting addiction don't even know they're fighting it. They're like, ah, I'm fine. What are you talking about? I just get high once in a while. Um, but, you know, mom and dad typically do know and maybe they ignore it. What's the What's the first thing you tell a parent that is just distraught and distressed, uh, not even to the level, Daniel, you reference yourself in your story, uh, which we've talked about and we can touch on a little today, where, uh, you know, it got to the point where so obvious, right, years into this thing. Uh, let's start from the beginning, right? You got that, that adult 25-something, um, and the parents are like, what do I do? Well, I, I find that more and more parents, I mean, they, they're kind of in two different worlds of it, depending on how far the addiction's gone on and how, how destructive it's been, where we have individual parents that they're trying to combat the, their individual's depression and, or make them happy by buying them things or you know paying for the car insurance. And then they get into these, these circles of, well, he needs a car to go to work. So if I stop paying for the car, then he won't be able to get a job. 
and it goes round and round. So they're, they actually end up supporting the continuation of the, of the addiction. And the biggest, the, the biggest problem comes to the point where it actually did in, in my house, where it gets to the point where you're, you're, your parents are afraid to kick you out. They're afraid to take anything away from you because they're afraid you're going to go out there and die in the, in the streets. So they become paralyzed with this fear of if, if I make a move, I might make the wrong move. They might die. And instead, they're almost willing to grab a kid in Narcan, have it in the house and wait for the kid to hit the floor instead of let me push them in the right direction and let me let me at least take a chance to. So let's it. talk, Jay. What's the first because you just pointed out perfectly, right? You've got way on one side, you've got the total enabling, and I'm now basically paying for the addiction. And as Daniel pointed out rightfully, it's compounded by the unemployment, the stimulus checks. All of a sudden, you got cash in your bank account that you have to do anything for. And if you're already in a dark place, it could make it worse. But then all the way on the other side, you've got, you know, I don't want to shut them down. I don't want them ending up. I mean, I've heard from so many stories. We all have, you know, the moms are distressed. They call my radio show in the morning, talk about their daughter uh, out selling sex in Newark just to feed her addiction. I mean, it's horrific stuff that some of these young people are going through. Where's the middle? Mm -hmm. I think it's important. You know, there's a lot of different groups that suggest letting someone hit bottom. And I think that is one of the most painful processes to watch as a parent. And that's, you know, as, as a new parent, I couldn't imagine going, hey, I'm going to just watch as you go downhill. Um, and I, we don't believe in that in, in the sense that the rock bottom is, is you know, are lo you're no longer here. And you'll you, keep you, reinventing you, bottom. Yes. You could keep digging all the way to death. Right. right. And, and so the what. What our goal is, is to really bring bottom up to them. And what we mean by that is families, it's an innate and it's important as a support system to keep pushing that person in the right direction. Just to, to put your efforts, it's frustrating. There's a lot of emotions involved, but you need to keep pushing in the right direction and create consequences for the wrong decision making. How much, to, to that point, uh, we just got a, a note on um, on Facebook. Alicia M. had a great point about setting boundaries is actually a good idea for parents, <laughs> whether there's an addiction issue or not. Maybe setting those boundaries at a much younger age will get you to that point, because I think this conversation is not just for parents who have uh, a kid or child who has an addiction problem. It's like just good parenting to maybe help mitigate and prevent against that addiction later in life. Well, absolutely. There's so many things that parents do. And, you know, I'm a parent myself and, and I, I am constantly reeled back in because, you know, I have a support system that that actually helps me be a better parent. You know, Lynn Regan helps me be Daniel very early on. And it can be as simple as, oh, you know, your, your child crying in the store for that toy. And then you end up just to mitigate the situation. You're just going to buy that toy or um, I need to enter. You know, I want to entertain them at the dinner table. So I'm going to let them have their Nintendo Switch, or I'm going to let them have their tablet at the table in, instead of pushing that good behavior of community. And you see a huge difference in, in individuals, especially when we're intervening, those who were raised in more of a house that, like, you you earn you, you earn things rather than get them. Um, you could see it, it, the interventions go totally different between those two groups of individuals and how the parents react to things. Uh, and obviously one is more successful than the other. Um, because when, when, uh, when someone gets, you know, when they become enabled or entitled in, in their perspective, they, they like to push the boundaries and they, they're like, 
okay, well, I know it's no right now, but if I keep throwing a tantrum one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times, eventually that no is going to turn to a yes. So our interventions turn into how many tantrums can we have till they get to the point where they realize no is no now, right? And so it, it it's definitely starts from the beginning. And some way those, before any drugs enter someone. And some of those interventions, they, they, they try and wear us out. That's, that's when you hear an intervention that'll go on for six, eight hours where the, the individual thinks that they can wear us out. And that's not going to happen. I'll camp out on your front lawn. I'll bring a sleeping bag. Uh, I, I'm going con- to continue to go forward until I, I get that person and take that step forward in the right direction. So, so what about the, the change in the locks on the door? You know, Daniel, specifically, you, you and I have had this conversation with, uh, with your mom, Lynn. And, uh, you know, it was one of the, the tough love points that she made to me. said, at some point, you may actually have to change your locks. How do you have that conversation? When does it get that far? It, that, that's that's kind of like the um, one of the last things that happen, if you will. I, it, you know, usually, you know, we, we try several different steps. Typically, a lot of these individuals, they have their car paid for, um, their car insurance. Like they have a lot of conveniences in their life and privileges in their life that um, they don't necessarily deserve. And it's just allowing them to go and get their drugs easier and whatnot. So uh, we start with those things first, uh, taking away, uh, you know, making them at least realize that this thing is they should have gratitude and appreciation for the privilege that they have a family that can afford this and give this to them. Uh, and that because they gave it to them, they can also take it away. Uh, and uh, so we start with the easy things first. But some some individuals, they want they, they're testing us and they're testing their parents yeah, to see exactly. how far they could take it. Um, to the point where that no becomes a yes. And the biggest, the biggest point, and you'll see, I have so many parents come in and they were told by, you know, other organizations or other people, you know, just, just kick them out, stop doing drugs or kick them out. Um, and, and that becomes the conversation instead of, we have to create a, a, a better choice. We have to say, okay, this is this, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to this treatment center. I want you to go to make a easy path on one side and then the other side, make it very, very difficult and say, okay, look, you want to stay here. It, 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 then this is what you have to do. If you're not going to do this, then you can't be here anymore. There has to be an option. There. Just kicking somebody out on the street is not necessarily the best thing to do. So it's, it, it's a carrot and a stick, right? And and to uh, to that point, Jay and, and uh, Daniel, Sheila T on Facebook uh, agrees that you know parenting has got to start at an early age. Uh, she says at one point it's too late. Let, let's address that because some people think they throw their hands up and they think it is too late. And you know, oh my kids. In their 20s, they're an adult now. There's nothing I can do. Um, but, I, you know, th- we learned, and I talked about this on the radio show this morning, you guys have had a 95% success rate with people out over years of not relapsing, you know, embracing sober living and changing. How many of those people are in their mid to late 20s? These are not young kids. These are, these are people that should know better. They're adults. But it wasn't too late, even at 27, 28 years old. Well, unfortunately, when, when, you know, you start using drugs, it, you know, your emotional intelligence kind of stops uh, its growth process. So although you might be intervening someone who's 25, they have a lot of the same characteristics as a 13, 14-year-old that, that's throwing a tantrum. Um, and it's really hard as a parent, it, 
you know, parents kind of always view their kids as kids. Like, even when they're 30, you know, I'm 30 years old and my mom still calls me, her, you know, a kid, right? <laughs> and, and I think that's just what happens, it might, you know. So when your kid is kind of acting like a kid and you are kind of stuck in that mindset and they have been completely dependent on you this whole entire time, parents don't even realize the irrationalness that's going on in front of them. So it, when we go in, we also have to, we do a family session before we do intervention, before we even talk to the person in recovery, because a lot of the times the family dynamic needs a new focus and a new perspective so that they can actually help their loved one. Um, it, it's really important because it, they kind of get stuck in the same cloud that the person who's addicted to drugs is. How do you, how do you talk to parents? So maybe back to you, Jay, on this, when they're not therapists, they're not counselors, they're just mom and dad, and there's no training to be a mom and dad. All of a sudden you find yourself with a kid and you do your best to get them to a certain point. I always looked at it as my, my, you know, for my wife and I, our job was to get them launched by 18 and hopefully we've done a good enough job that by the time they're 18, they can get out there and fend for themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're blessed with two great kids, but you know, what do you say to a parent as far as here's how you have that first conversation, not as a professional, but just like, like, how do I get, cause here's a question I've heard a lot. How do I get my uh, son or daughter, teenager, 20 something to even listen to me and respect me enough to open their ears and have the conversation. A lot of times the person becomes so closed off, especially by the time that I would even get involved. If you're talking about somebody at the level of their, they're already in active addiction, a lot of times they're, they're not going to listen to that, that family member to be able to move forward. And they need that third party as to kind of intervene. But at the same time, the, the, the conversation usually has to be about questions. And if you, if a family member tells you what to do and tells you what you should or shouldn't do, that that's generally not going to work. It, it's got to come from more a question point of view. Is this how you want your life to be? What do you want to do with your life? It's more of a conversation that has to be asked of questions, and the, the individual's got to come up with their own answers. It, it, a lot of times, we tell them, you know, that boy isn't good for you, or that girl isn't good for you, or you know, you need to get a job, or you need to do this, you need to do that. It, it kind of falls on deaf ears. And prior to that, if you're talking about like children growing up, I think a lot of the problems that we run into and what really comes out in a lot of these family interactions that we have is a lot of parents kind of go about um, parenting in a way of uh, do as I say, not as I do, in, in the sense that they're telling their kids one thing, but the parents themselves act in a different way. So what I mean by that is, you know, listen to all the rules and you should definitely listen to all laws and everything, but you can drink and smoke pot at the house if you'd like, it, it, even though you're underage, I, I, I would like you home for that. You know, that kind of mentality, or even a parent that goes, you shouldn't smoke pot, it's gonna kill you, and meanwhile, the kid knows that they're smoking pot. It, you know, it starts, that, that, that catalyst starts at that realm, so by the time it's exacerbated and you throw in a whole bunch of trauma and, you know, years of, of uh, addiction, it's all exacerbated to the point, but it all started from kind of that, that realm. And, and I think the rebellion mentality kind of starts very young too, where it's, I mean, no teachers, I'm not going to say teachers are perfect, but we have a lot of fantastic teachers out there in, in all levels of education. And I think a lot of times the parents from very young on, they pit their kids against the teachers when something goes wrong, when they're corrected in some way, shape or form. And is it always, is it always fair the outcome of what goes on? No, I'm dealing with that right now. I have a seven-year-old. 
um, when when he's in school and and we see this this interaction. But he is taught that the teacher is the boss of that classroom, and it, you know if something something happens in that classroom, I want you to be able to go to the teacher and talk to the teacher. But if if something happens and you do wrong, like the the, the, the teacher so, is the person you have to listen to. Boundaries, respect for authority. You know, I, I think they're great principle. I think the challenge, of course, today we have is we've got such incompetence in government and such misinformation floating around. It's it's a real challenge for parents. So be on the lookout for that. Because I, I I tend to agree with you, Jay and Daniel, that you know it's how we raise our kids, right? There's there's a structure, there are boundaries. Certain people are in charge. Uh, but we've lost the thread when you've got so many people in charge that are acting like such fools lately. Let just real quick as we wrap up um, the, uh, the on the ballot in November is going to be a question about legalizing marijuana. Um, you know, it, it's not it's one of these questions where it's going to change the Constitution and forgetting about the actual um, um, rule itself. The idea, the concept behind legal recreational pot for the recovery addiction warriors who are on the front lines like you, does it hurt or help? Or is it a neutral? That's, that's a tough one. Yeah. I, really there, tough there's one. different. I, or is it both? It's going to be both. Honestly, I, I see it as both. Um, you know, we, we look at other countries that have decriminalized uh, a lot of substances and had great success. But uh, that decriminalization also came with a huge reform in how you rehabilitate individuals that are in addiction. It also came with a huge reform on prevention. Um, so I, I feel like you can't have one without the other. You're not going to see the same success as other countries. And unfortunately, there's a lot of red tape in America. So, like, we get one portion, you know, corrected, and then the two missing pieces that actually make it a whole. I don't get done. And I, we see this constantly happening all the time. Uh, so I see that as, as an issue if we don't put that in line with decriminalization and legalization of substances that were once scheduled narcotics. Um, so, uh, or well, they're still scheduled. But the, uh, it's also scary to me. I feel culturally we're still, we're, I feel like we're almost on the edge of changing where it's not cool to get high anymore. And I, I, feel, I feel that that change could be coming. Is it going to come next year or 10 years, I don't, 20 years? I don't know. But that, that's like a huge shift that I feel that needs to, to take place culturally, especially on the younger level, especially with the, the, the people that our, our young people follow, the people that they, they watch, these famous people and everything else like that. And I think it, what scares me is that the is the cultural shift ready? Is is the culture ready? Are, are these kids ready to say, you know, no, I'm not going to use substances because it's not cool anymore. I, I don't want to do this. And it's kind of scary. To now, me. take it from a medicinal standpoint, there are a lot of benefits uh, medicinally with, with cannabis. Uh, and it's being used even in addiction itself. And okay. I, I believe that for some individuals, and I, it's not a... We keep looking for this magic pill or this magic thing that's going to solve all addictions and that it's never going to exist because it's very individualized and people have their own obstacles that they need to get over. But for some individuals, that, that, that track of recovery using cannabis as an MAT medication really does help them because they don't have any other options. Right. Um, and I was just talking about this the other day. We have an individual who's allergic to opioids. So she can't take any kind of suboxone maintenance. Right. Um, she's addicted to opiates, so she can't take any kind of opiates, but she also has a chronic illness that causes immense amount of pain. 
So what is she supposed to do? She's supposed to just sit there and suffer and try to stay sober. And what kind of life is that to live? So if we can maintain her pain with something that is less harmful, right, it, then she has a, a better uh, percentage or probability that she's going to be able to stay off of the opiates and live the life that she needs to live. And, and this is the kind of thoughtful, uh, you know, conversation that kind of that breaks down the complexities. I think that's the problem with politics today. They try to paint with a broad brush one way or the other. One side is never fits all. I want to thank uh, Barbara M. Uh, she had a nice note for you guys just saying, keep the fight. Recovery is possible. Daniel, always great to see you. Jay, thank you for joining us. Yeah. Um, anyone out there on Facebook, or if you hear this when you're on the site, nj1015.com slash Bill Spadia, um, hopefully you're going to subscribe to this podcast, Speaking Recovery. If you need help, go directly to healingus.org, and you can get in touch with CFC Loud and Clear or Re Relevance Behavioral Health. Get the help you need, even if you are just at the start of this and you are confused, not sure whether you're the person that is fighting addiction or you're not even sure if you're addicted, but you know you can't stop even if you're trying. Uh, or if you're a parent, you're concerned about your son or daughter, go to healingus.org. Get the help you need. Daniel, Jay, the entire Regan family is there to help you. Thank you, guys. Always great to see you. Thanks, Thank Bill. You. Subscribe to the new Speaking Recovery podcast available at nj1015.com slash Bill Spadia, Google Play, and iTunes. Hosted by me and my friend Daniel Regan from Healing Us Centers. Are you or a loved one battling addiction? Relevance Behavioral Health is here to help. At Relevance, you'll get intense clinical care coupled with long-term relapse prevention. Relevance is the only local care facility focused on recovery and long-term sober living. Call today, 732-702-2242, or visit them online at Relevance recovery.com.